The following podcast is inspired by classic horror, and therefore has themes that might not be for everyone. What you are about to witness contains some blood, gore, and death. Proceed with caution. The bells of the cathedral intone loudly across a lazy New Orleans Sunday morning. The bell tower sits high above a Spanish-style building, whose doors open and a funeral procession begins to walk slowly forward. The funeral party is small, and its members have a weary familiarity with the ritual. Ahead of the procession, doors slam shut and curtains are drawn. Here and there, the curious and brave peek out from the upper story windows, but no one comes out to see the deceased make their way to the final resting spot. The procession winds solemnly across the city until it turns on a wide, hard-packed drive. The drive is lined with rows and rows of grapevines, already thickening with the growths that will yield the first fruits of the year. The vines quiver as the procession passes, as if possessed by a phantom wind. The drive leads to a huge, looming manor house. Its windows, shutters, and porches droop with the weight of years and worry heaped upon them. The house's foundation has started to slowly sink into the wet, dark earth beneath it, a death that will go on for another hundred years or more before the bayou claims it. The procession winds their way to a large family cemetery behind the house. The cemetery only goes back 150 years, but it is filled with graves. Along the back side of the cemetery is a dark, black-watered lake. Its borders have expanded over the years and has overtaken the backmost crypts and monuments. Here and there, a cross or the slanted roof of a mausoleum crests the surface. The crypt that is their destination is dry and far enough away from the shore that the water won't reach it any time soon. The name across the top of the crypt reads Elijah Rookwood, 1850-1900. As the family lays their loved one to rest, the water beneath them ripples and trembles, as if something is just dove below the surface. The disturbance moves deeper and deeper into the dark until its surface is somewhere vastly different than the aging manor in its decrepit cemetery. This place is a cavern, lit dimly by some unknowable fungus or plant. Above the water, crisscrossing the low ceiling of the cavern are thick and heavy vines. On these vines grow round and crimson fruit. At first glance, the fruit seems much like pomegranates, round and red. One of them is ripe and heavy. As the surface of the water breaks, the fruit trembles. A viscous, dark liquid drips from the creases that form along its surface. The fruit spreads open as something large slides out of it. As the fruit empties its contents, there is a gasping of lungs taking in air for the first time. A splash into the dark, deep waters echoes around the cavern for a few moments, and then silence. Welcome to our first season of Foxtail Games. This season we are proud to bring you Riding on the Vine, our Curse of the House of Rookwood actual play. 
uh, Rookwoods are set in New Orleans in the 1900s, in the very early 1900s. They are a family that's been around for 150 years. And even though the city themselves doesn't know it, they keep everyone safe from the monsters that prowl through the bayous and the swamps. Our cast of characters um, are here to tell you all about who they are. So we will start with uh, Nick. Tell us about you and your character. Howdy, y'all. Uh, yeah, I'm Nick Westbrook. Uh, I've been playing RPGs uh, since COVID. Um, uh, happy to be here. Maeve, this is, I'm excited for this podcast, and this, uh, this system is amazing. Uh, but I uh, want to introduce you guys to uh, James Rookwood. Uh, he's the uh, uh, eldest of our group. Um, he's primarily known as the outcast. He doesn't necessarily fit in with, with, with the family, per se. Um, uh, uh, but he does what he can. He, uh, he definitely, uh, strives for some sort of acceptance. Um, but is still just that, that awkward guy, um, vibes of, uh, uh, uncle Fester from Adam's family. That's the vibe I got when we were, when we were, uh, uh running this character out. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's James Rookwood. All right. Awesome. And, uh, what are your pronouns and the pronouns of your character, please? Oh, he, him, for both. For both. All right. Awesome. Yes. Um, all right. So we will go to our Amy, who is playing our lovely Rose. Hi, I'm Amy. Um, we're saying howdy, y'all, tonight. So howdy, y'all. Um, I am playing, my pronouns are she, her, and Rose's pronouns are she, her. Um, playing Rose Rookwood, daughter of Petunia Rookwood. Um, she's 18. Uh, she has Curse of the Fading Echo on her, and she is kind of the family haunt, the, the ghost in the background, the, the overlooked one. I love that. I'm so excited. All right. Um, Jim, you're playing Eustace. Tell us about yourself and Eustace. Howdy, y'all. I'm Jim. My pronouns are he, him, and Eustace's pronouns are also he, him. Uh, Eustace Rookwood is about is a twenty year old young man. He is one of the more in, active in the family business of the existing Rookwoods, kind of doing keeping the books straight and making sure everything's on the up and up. And in his free time, he likes to paint over by the lake. Uh, whether or not he's good at it is a different question. <laughs> But uh, I've been doing RPGs for uh, about 15 years now, so it's been a minute. Uh, but this is the first time playing something like this. And, oh, and Eustace's curse is a, a custom curse that we, uh, we made up called Curse of the Reflecting Pool. Awesome. I'm very glad to have uh, you here, Jim. This is definitely been a dream team of a, of a team and speaking of a dream team our last but not least player is nathan who is playing henry tell us about henry my name is nathan um he him pronouns my character is henry he who also has he him pronouns henry is the family screw up uh he wants more responsibility but really isn't ready for it. he's a bit young um and he tends to mess up the things he does get involved with uh, he suffers the curse of the rookery, giving him power over birds, specifically usually corvids. Um, and he is marked by his curse by a little bit of a feather in his hair. And my character is, or sorry, I have 
been playing role-playing games since the 90s, though I really did take at least a 10-year break between in the 2000s, 2010. Um, but I probably got back into it with Apocalypse World and then the pandemic really up my role-play. Oh, yeah, the pandemic has definitely, I think, opened up gaming for a lot of people. Um, all right, and Nick, what was your character's curse? Yes, uh, James's curse is uh, the curse of the gibbet. Um, so uh, bindings, chains, ropes, uh, securing things, that's his, uh, that's his curse. All right. And uh, I am May Fox. I will be your chronicler for this uh, campaign. I use she, her pronouns, and uh, you'll be hearing me doing most of the voices of NPCs and stuff. I guess just settle in and join us as we see what, see what is in store for our poor Rookwoods. Episode 1. The Magpie Comes. Fill your mouth with berries by the light of the full moon. Work all night if you have to. The Magpie Comes at Noon. From the Magpie by the Mountain Goats. Alright, scene 1. We have Rose and Chains. It has been a week since your father, Elijah, died and you have buried him and said your farewells uh james but it's been a very busy week since then there have been lots of things going on in town um your older uh uncle jonathan has been dragging you guys out almost every night to take care of just little boogaboos that are um sort of haunting the streets of new orleans um, and you're, you're starting to feel a little bit exhausted. This has not been a very easy week. And not only have you been like trying to deal with your grief, you've also been trying to chase these just like small, annoying creatures around, um, around town. So we're going to start with the two of you standing in an alleyway. Um, it's dark. New Orleans is really just starting to get a lot of electric lights on the main streets, but towards the alleyways and such, there's still a lot of um, still a lot of oil lamps and things like that. So you've got these flickering oil lamps casting moving shadows, and you're pretty sure that you saw something run down this this alleyway, but you're not necessarily sure if it was a, a street urchin or if it was the creature that you're looking for. Um, and so the two of you are just standing at this mouth of this dark New Orleans alleyway. Um, give us a rundown of what each of your characters look like, starting with James. So James is middle-aged. He's in his, he's actually 30. Um, he just uh, went over that hill recently. Um, he's short, portly. Uh, because of his curse, he's got these uh, ligature marks um, around his, his neck. And... He very pale, very uh, Adam's family vibe that I get from this character, um, uh, and, and, and very quirky. You could just tell by looking at him that he's a he's an odd odd guy. Does he take any care to hide the ligature marks at all, or do they just stand out? They just stand out. He's okay. he's the outcast. He's he doesn't try to not be the outcast. He knows his place. Um, he just tries to seek 
acceptance. So I think I, he's 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 not afraid to show him. Gotcha. And Rose, what does Rose look like? Rose is kind of ethereal in the flickering light. Um, she's wearing black high-waisted pants and a, a lacy white shirt um, with a floppy bow at the neck. Um, she's very pale, um, long, streaming, white blonde hair that she has tied up in kind of an intricate bun on the top of her head. Um, she is just kind of pale and ghostly in what little light there is. Okay. What um what do you guys do? You're standing at the curse they're standing at the edge of this um alleyway and there is potentially either a street kid or a monster hiding at the end of it. You weren't sure, you just saw a shadow dart down the alleyway. James uh is going to step forward and and yell at the top of his lungs in the most awkward way possible. Show yourself! Show yourself now! While trying to still protect Rose as if she needs protecting. I don't know. <laughs> but at least that makes James feel better. All right. You, in response to your yelling, you hear the clattering of a, um, of a trash can as something moves further down the alleyway. I'm going to step up next to James and kind of spin my blade in my hand, and I'm going to go... I hope it's something exciting this time. I look at Rose with a big Joker-esque grin. Let's go get it. Let's go. Right. My portly Take butt trying to run after. down there while Rose is 30 feet ahead of me. <laughs> um, that is... So, Rose, you are definitely getting there first. Um, you get into the darker part of the alleyway, and as you kind of step around some boxes and some discarded things, the light above you in the the lantern just flickers a couple times and then out and you are in pitch darkness but as the light starts to fade you catch this this glint of eyes that are sort of cowering in a small corner in a dark corner going to cautiously approach you get fairly close to it and this thing bolts past you it's greenish colored maybe it's scaled maybe it's not it's so hard to tell it's about this it's about the size of like a toddler and about like the same shape of a toddler as it just bolts past you um and tries to run down the alleyway with me catching up to where rose is at it's running uh, right at you i'm you gonna see... try to flop on this thing <laughs> you what you see as it's coming towards you are these giant green um this giant green head with these very like bulgy red eyes and it is i mean it is bolting straight at you so um you're gonna try to land on it yeah i'm gonna try to subdue it or okay give me a brawn roll so let's take a second then so in this game when we decide what we're going to do for our role we pick which stat one of our three stats brawn guile or weird and um, you decide how many die you are going to roll. I also am able to introduce risks and rewards. So your reward for this will be that you are able to subdue him. The risk, however, is that you are going to hurt yourself landing on the hard cobblestone. So you get to choose which of these two, or you choose how many die 
one, two, or three you want to roll for this? I think I'm going to use three. I have two in brawn, and I'm going to pull one over from weird. I mean, I am suffering from a curse of give it. Uh, so, so I'll roll three and hope for no doubles. All right, so I got a six, two, and one, and my six was in my actual brawn. So I believe that's what two successes. Two successes. So you can do it, and you don't take any damage from doing it. So you do manage to do subdue him. So what does it look like as you as you grab onto this thing? I think it still looks like it was an accident because of his nature, but the the real success is he did not hurt himself. So I think he just kind of lunges at this thing, and it happens to be heading in the perfect direction that James was landing on. And uh, uh, luckily, he slowly did the knees, torso, face to the ground and, and, and caught this thing um, with his bare hands. Okay, so you land, grab it. Um, it is squirming and squealing. It's making this awful, awful noise. And then you hear from behind you, Rose, a responding squeal, and then another squeal, and then another squeal. And on the fence along the back end of this alleyway, there are four more of these creatures that are on top of the perched on top of the fence now, watching you. Um, grapple its friend. Um, they do not look happy. What, uh, Rose, what are you doing in this moment? Oh, this definitely looks fun. You did ask for it to be interesting. That's true. So there's no reasoning with these types of things, are there? They're, they're monsters, and that's what we do is haunt monsters, correct? You do know that some monsters are more more prone to reason, but these things don't seem like they have much more than a toddler's level of intelligence. I'm going to start backing up towards James and the current restrained creature and just kind of slap behind me at James. Um, and as you step backwards, they start to kind of inch forward. Just gonna, can we move back to the mouth of the alley <laughs> and see if those things will follow into the electric light on the main street. Yeah, if that's what you want to do. So you're backing up um, to kind of put some space in between them. Are you, James, are you walking with this thing in your arm, backing up with this thing in your arms? Yes, and as I'm backing up with Rose, I am, I, I, I've got rope. I'm there to tie these things up. I, I'm tying this in, in a very detailed manner, uh, a, a little too well, but I'm, okay. I'm subduing this thing perfectly so I can, hog tight and hold it with like a like a suitcase um right. uh ready to defend myself with my other hand yeah and it as you try to wrap it up it's snapping at you with these piranha-like jaws you can hear its teeth like clacking together as it as it barely misses your uh you're you're pretty expert at staying out of its way but it is definitely very angry um and its friends are are they get to right about the mouth of the of the alleyway and then they just kind of stop it's like they don't want to go full into the light and then uh, they're just kind of almost like they're waiting did you say that there were oil lamps that were on that flickered out the oil lamps flickered out the main street that you're now into has electric lights the one that we have restrained what is how is it reacting it's still trying to bite even though it's restrained it's it's just squirming and 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 biting and, and struggling does it get worse when it gets closer to the light it doesn't it... seem to 
I think he okay. just wants. He just you get the idea that he just wants to get away. I'm gonna take my duffel bag. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this thing in this duffel bag that I have around my back. Throw the the top off and and set it off to the side of the street because I'm gonna go after one of these other three that are that are hissing and screaming at us. Um, I look at Rose. I say, Rose, you go that way. I go this way. Um, we'll break this party up and uh, uh, we'll try to uh, uh, get these things. Uh, uh, dealt with. I mean, if if we're just going to kill them, we can just kill them. Let's do it. Let's go. I'm going to attack the closest one to me okay. with my blade. We'll do a brawn roll then. So, and you get to choose how many dice. The so the reward is that you you hit it. Your risk is that one of the others is going to uh, or that one or two of the others will start to swarm you. Uh, how many dice you see of one risk and one reward how many dice do you want to roll i think that she is very much overestimating herself right now after the kind of slow week that she's had of taking out these little piddly things so i think she would just throw one to begin with okay all right so roll one die that's a five so that is a success so you can indeed stab at this thing so you go to stab at it and and you hit pretty well but as you do two of the others just swarm onto you and start like scratching at you and pulling at your hair and and trying to like they don't look like they're necessarily trying to really hurt you all that much they are trying to frighten you these things are all in your hair they're they're in like everywhere they're just on top of you and and you get this almost like claustrophobic feeling as these things are just like everywhere on you like you can't get them off of you they try to pry one off of me sorry no no okay. go ahead but do your thing all right um yeah give me um like throw it down and stab if possible okay so give me another uh brawn roll that one's a four Okay, so that is a success. So you do manage to get one off of you. There's still one crawling and, and scrabbling um, on you, and the other two are hurt and starting to pull back. James, what are you doing? You have one that you're chasing, at, and then uh, there are... She's handling three, but there's one that didn't go near them. I think seeing Rose having one still on her, I, I'm going to go after that one first. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of sidestep and and try to get that thing off of her so she could be freed up to do what she does best with that blade. Um, so I'm going to go up and try to grab this thing and if successful, uh, slam it into the ground as hard okay. as I can. Okay. Um, so so I... if the there's no real risk for this one, I think I think the only risk is if you don't do it, it gets away. So um, just the reward is just doing it. So gotcha. So I'll just use my two brawn. Okay. A two and a four. So one success. So you do it. You get it. You smash it. And it doesn't look like it's getting up to, like, these things don't seem too resilient at the moment. So you, Rose, you've got two of them. You're now covered in whatever these things are made out of. Um, And there's one still just, like, all in your, just everywhere, um, scratching at your chest and um, not doing any real damage, but you know, drawing blood here and there with these just nasty little claws. I'm going to use a part of my my curse to turn into an incorporeal form and kind of step back and let them fall through me. 
so let's see the reward is that you that you do it i think the risk for this is going to be that um you are going to not come out your incorporeal self nature is going to mean that you're not able to turn back because you're still not used to using this ability as much okay. as you like so your your reward for it is that you you succeed and you fade out but the risk potential risk is that you're going to be stuck in corporeal for a while i think it's worth it okay. i'm gonna use both of my weird dice i have a six and a three so that's a the six is a double success because it's in weird so absolutely you um you sidestep out of them and then you are able to to vanish back and as you as you fade out this crossbow bolt comes flying through the night uh, from the other side of the alleyway skewers the thing and your uncle jonathan steps out of the the darkness of the alleyway he's got like six or seven of these things almost they're almost strung up like fish on a trot line but they're kind of slung over his back and he's like four huh at least you're doing something and then he turns and walks away i had that <laughs> All right, so let's uh, end that scene, and let's move over to Eustace and Henry. Eustace, you are used to being in the house all by yourself for the most part. You know that uh, Aunt Petunia moves around making sure everything's clean, making sure food's done for everybody. She is nice to you, but distant. There, there's a little, there's still a little bit, I think, of of hurt feelings about the fact that your family once left and then came back. This morning you find yourself walking past the main family hall where there are all of these pictures of the Rookwood's past going back to Honoree Rookwood, the progenitor of the Rookwood family. And you find your Uncle Louie is in the hall staring down at these, up at the, all these pictures. Um, in particular, he's staring at one that is a missing blank picture there there is no picture specifically but if space has been set for it and louis is in his 80s um he's getting a little a little senile sometimes you find him wandering around spots of the house that you didn't know you know he didn't you didn't shouldn't be he just kind of like shows up in the most random spots and today he is kind of staring at this open space and sort of muttering to himself and before we get into the scene do we have a anyone on retainer who acts as a like a nurse for him? Petunia does to some degree. Okay. Rose does occasionally. Um, but, I think people just kind of take turns. Okay, but he's not. I I am not expecting a someone minding right on the regular. Right. Okay. Eustace is heading down past the uh, the main hall. Turns the corner. He is a he's tall for his age. Lanky. Looks like he just stepped out of the shower, which is unfortunately part of his curse. He seems to be perpetually clammy or damp or just like he's sweating a lot, but it's not sweat. It's just ugh. he's got he carries a, a, a handkerchief and a towel and he's regularly dabs it, dabs the worst defenses off from his neck and head. He looks up, sees his uncle. Uncle. What brings you out here on this fine day? Louis kind of turns to you. His eyes are, are a little red and puffy. He just kind of shrugs and he says, It's been so long. So much of our family on this wall. 
so many gone and I look up and I see this one missing and he ain't never gonna be there. And he reaches up and he touches the spot on the wall, the empty the empty spot on the wall, and shakes his head. He said, Pleasure being gone just has me in a mood this morning. It is understandable. Would you like help back to your study? Would you wheel me to the kitchen? I think your Aunt Petunia made some beignets. Of course. Um, and mm. out of curiosity, this blank space on the wall has been blank for some time your entire life my entire life okay mm -hmm. so i'm i'm presuming he's either in a in a, a chair or some other assistant device yeah yeah he's in a chair so i will you know go up to him and patiently help him towards the kitchen and as we walk a bit away i will ask him uncle who should be up there on that wall he kind of turns and looks back at you and he says you know your mama and daddy weren't the first ones to leave that right there was my great uncle sasha he left when i was a boy and no one ever told us why whatever he did it just about broke this family but no one ever talked about it afterwards no one deserves to just be removed in such a way who knows what happened to him out there in the world? I have heard some stories of the cruelties of the world, Uncle, but we Rookwoods are made of stern stuff, are we not? And give him a squeeze on the shoulder as we enter the kitchen. He chuckles and, and, and pats your shoulder. As you come into the kitchen, your Aunt Petunia, who um, is in her 40s, she is absolutely braille thin and... Looks surprisingly young for her age. Dark hair that's braided up. She always keeps it in a very tight braid. Um, she's wearing a floral dress and, and she's kind of moving around the kitchen, humming to herself. One of the few, like, bright spots, I think, in the Rookwood, in the Rookwood family. And she looks up and she says, oh, Grandpa, what are you doing? What are you doing up? You should be in your bed. And then she looks at you and says, Eustace, thank you so much for taking care of him. You're welcome, Aunt. Is there anything you need assistance with in here? She she kind of laughs and she says, no, no, I don't think so today. But uh, where did you find this old man now? And you look over and you realize that uh, Uncle Louis has already fallen asleep. Oh, just in the hallway. Reminiscing about times gone by. Well, he's got a lot more time that's gone by than uh, any of us have. That's for sure. It's hard to believe anybody in our family could live that long. In our line of work? Yes. Speaking of, if you'll excuse me. Mm -hmm. And I step out and immediately my mind returns to the name and Sasha. Uh, do we as a family have any records? I would presume that Eustace would know where those records are. Um, don't necessarily know. You've looked, okay. you've looked up Sasha before, and okay. it's almost like he has been expunged from the family. But as you are sort of turning around in the kitchen to go back to your study, there's a glint of light on, um, the lake behind the house, this dark black lake behind the, the manor house that catches your eye. And it's almost like a beckoning. You know before that like the, the water, uh, your curse specifically calls you to uh, water for some reason or mm. another. Oh, I a wave of emotions 
goes through Eustace at that glint. Um, they're they're an equal parts longing, fear, uh, a, a bunch of them. So he immediately stiffens and then proceeds towards the door nearest the lake. Okay. And we're going to stop right there for a second, and we're going to move on to our youngest member of the family. All right, so Henry... Where does the day find you? Uh, they find Henry up on the roof of the Rookwood Estate, and looking over the city and kind of getting regular reports on the rest of the the party that's out and about uh, from my ravens. They're kind of going out and coming back and telling me what's going on because I'm pretty jealous I didn't get to go. I imagine this is probably like a, a widow's walk or something. I think it was, and then I kind of climb out from that up onto the roof itself. <laughs> All right, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so, what is it like when you um, when you call your ravens to you? Like, what is the relationship between you and your ravens? I generally speak to my ravens with normal language, and they understand me. But there is, at this point, kind of almost a hand signal system that I tend to use for uh, certain kind of usual tasks. Scout the area grab me that thing, go get him, things like that. I have hand signals that I don't need to use words for. And you seem to just be able to understand what they're trying to communicate to you. Yeah, they pretty much just speak to me. Um, yeah. Anyone else listening usually doesn't understand, of course. All right. So you're up here on your roof, and uh, you see your ravens, but they look a little, like, unsettled today. They're not sitting still. They're constantly sh moving. They're kind of keeping their head, like, cocked around and you have one raven who's kind of like your patriarch he's the one that like the other ravens like pay attention to and and he he sort of flies up on your shoulder kind of does this little dance you can tell he's very very nervous ah, jenkins jenkins what got into you you all uh, are just off tonight he he kind of like squawks awkwardly for a second and then you notice that there is this magpie in among your ravens and it's looking very distressed hopping back and forth doing that the you know magpies have this little like kind of hopping dance that they do when um they're upset about something and jenkins just kind of like gestures to this thing henry kind of kneels down in front of it and says oh, i haven't seen you before What's your story, little man? It looks at you, and it's sort of, um... You can almost tell that it's a little surprised that, that you can talk to it, that it understands you. And it hops up onto your arm, onto your hand, and just starts, like, almost like talking just a mile a minute. Just, like, you can't even fully understand it because it's just ba 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 so fast. Whoa, 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 whoa. There, there. You're in good hands. You're with the Rookwood. Now. I kind of puff up. I feel like that's very important. <laughs> it gives you a look again, and then it just very quickly reaches down and bites the meat of your hand, like ah! right where your thumb is, um, and it draws blood. And then it flies up, and it just starts shrieking, the red, the red, the red. It's coming in the moonlight, the red. And then it flaps off into the darkness. Jenkins, was he with you? That guy was nuts. Jenkins cocks his head once again and gives you a look of like, mm. but the birds seem to be a lot calmer now that this magpie has, has vanished. We got to teach you all to be more accepting of outsiders. That was, 
But though that was not cool. I, you know what though? If there's something called the red out there, you think I should go into town? Jenkins kind of like looks at you. Then he turns towards the city and lets out a loud, low croak as another raven comes swooping in. And this one has a small folded up piece of paper in its hands or in its uh, claws. And it drops it right in front of you and then looks uh, for a snack. Henry visibly deflates when this note comes. because Not many people send him messages by his own ravens. The raven is kind of looking at you expectantly. All right, I did my job. I reach into my pocket, pull out some like ever-present, I'm going to say stale bread. Okay. Like, I'll steal stuff from the kitchen and keep it to toss to the birds to keep them happy. I, and I look at the piece of paper. Like um, You can just tell it's like looking at homework. It's like, oh. Uh, the paper doesn't say who it's from, but you know exactly who it's from. And it says, I have all of the evidence. I am willing to cut a deal and give you everything if you can pay the price. Meet me at the old tap room and we will discuss how much this is going to cost you. I know the Rookwoods are good for it and I know you can get the money. You're resourceful. Well, Jenkins, I guess I guess we're going to town one way or another. Let's just do let's let's go to the tap room and I start climbing down the uh, fire escape. Okay. All right, cool. So you head into town. It, it, it's getting to be pretty late. Uh, you know, night settled in uh, an hour or so ago. It's after dinner. You're pretty sure everyone's distracted enough that, that you're able to get away. You're good at this. You've done this plenty of time sneaking into town. And sometimes you and James like crisscross each other without even really knowing it. Well, you probably know it. James is probably not paying attention. I think before going to the tap room, Henry probably does just go to peek on without saying hi. Okay. All right. So we'll switch over to them and then we'll get right back to you. Sounds good. All right, cool. Um, so as you're walking out onto the lawn and the, the ground here is wet and mm -hmm. damp, like it's, you know, it's very, very uh, loamy. Your feet sink into the, to the earth as you get close. The, the soil is dark and, um, there's a smell, there's always a smell in the backyard that is this very like green smell, like like stuff is always like rotting somewhere, uh, mm. like vegetation. Even at the edge of the lake, which is a very well-kept lake, but the water is almost completely still, very black, except for where the moon is shining down on it. And there's just like this perfect reflection. And as you get close to it, Eustace, you feel your curse taking over. And you feel yourself pulled into this scene. And you, you find yourself in the very same family room that you were just in with Uncle Louis. But there's a lot less pictures. Um, there's a man who reminds you of Uncle Louis, but very, very much younger. And he's confronting several other people in the room. He is extremely angry. And he says, that child is my son. And someone else says, that child is a danger to the city and especially to us. And you recognize this man because the second man is your great-great-grandfather Noah. Um, you've seen him in the family halls. Another woman rests her hand on um, the uh, angry man's shoulder and says, Sasha, please understand this isn't the outcome anyone wanted, but it must be done. That boy's curse will destroy everything we have built. Sasha 
roars and slams his fist down on the table that's between him and Noah and says, I will not let you murder my child. Noah hisses and says, this is your fault. You kept him from us and you knew what the consequences could bring. People have died and more will follow. Now either you pull the trigger or I will. Sasha's shoulders slump and he looks towards the ground and gives out a defeated sigh. You can see that the fight has gone out of him. And he says, damn it, I'll do it. But when I'm done, I won't be back. You can take all your curses and you can go straight to hell. And you see him walk out the door, slam the front door, and then the vision is over. And you are now back in the backyard of the house. I start patting myself looking for a little notebook, pen, something to write down what I just saw. I presume I would carry such things with me when I have these episodes. Yep, absolutely. And unfortunately, you know, it's a little it's a little wet, so I have it's smeary, but I write down the initial <laughs> things. I write Noah, Sasha, son, and a few other details. And then I'm going to turn and head straight back to my study mm -hmm. or to my room. And I'm going to do my best to recreate the scene on canvas. Okay, absolutely. So you are now in your room um, writing down and we'll go back to Rose and James. Rose and James, you are, um, you are staring down your uncle Jonathan who looks tired irritated a little bit a little bit frustrated he he looks around and he says i think that's everything that's everything tonight you two have got to get it together i can't be here forever i've got other things to do someone's got to take these things further and further away and you're good at home but the two of you you're not ready to leave the city yet do you understand yes but, but, but james hold on and i go run over to that bag with the tied up monster in it I go grab it and I come back and I go, but, but, but Jonathan, look, I got one in a bag and I hand it to him. He takes the bag, he sets it down on the ground, and then he proceeds to take a crossbow bolt and stab through um, until the thing stops squirming. And he says, I don't understand you. I don't. You should be right here by my side, but instead you let your father stand there until his duties consumed him. What is wrong with you? And he walks past you back towards the house or the, the road that will lead to the house. James just stands there motionless, just letting that sink in for a second and then slowly follows. Okay. Uh, Rose, what are you doing in that? I'm going to like, I'm going to like shoulder check him as I walk past um, to kind of get behind Jonathan. And I'm going to be like, as I pass him, I'm just going to say, we have to get better. And then I'm going to pick up the pace and follow, follow behind Jonathan. Henry, you have snuck out and you get around the corner just in time to see the last little bit of that altercation. Do you make your presence known as they walk by you or do you sit? Oh, I definitely sit and wait. I'm not supposed to be out. <laughs> um... As they pass you, all right. So you make your way to you make your way to the to the bar, and you've 
you've been here before to do this kind of thing before. When you when you get there, it's empty. No one else is no one else is here. It looks like it's not even open for the night, which is very odd. But the door is closed and all the lights are off. I think I kind of snap and the ravens kind of do like a once over around the building. Like that's something mm-hmm. we kind of practice. They know what I'm looking for in this yeah, situation. Absolutely. They one of them lands next to you and tells you that um, the back door is open. I sulkily walk towards the back door and okay, you walk around. You walk around to the back, and as soon as you get to the back door, the smell just hits your nostrils. You've not smelled it as many times as your fan, the rest of your family has, but you know instantly it is that thick, coppery scent of a lot of blood. I think I um reach into my pocket and pull out a feather and I give it to one of the ravens. I say, you better get Rose. And I hand it the feather to fly off. Okay. Hi everyone, it's your Chronicler Maeve. Just wanted to take a minute to thank you all for making it this far. The cast and I are having an absolute blast doing this show. We appreciate you guys listening in. I wanted to give a special moment to thank Brian Ben and Michael Addison, the creators of Curse of the House of Rookwood. This is a fantastic game, and as soon as I heard my friends on Project Derailed do the game, I knew that this had to be the one that we started out with. Uh, it's just fantastic. A big shout out to my cast who decided to join up and uh, come along with this crazy project as well. The voice of Jonathan Rookwood is played by Nathaniel Fox. I would also like to thank Matthew Wayne Friedley. He did the he created the music for the show that you're listening to in the intro and outro. Um, he's great. You should check him out on Bandcamp.com. And finally, I would like to give a big thank you to Fiona and Chelsea from Fables Around the Table. They have given me no small amount of encouragement in getting this project together. I really appreciate it, guys. If you like the show, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Foxtail Games, and we'll have a Discord link in our show notes, so jump in and say hi. So Rose, we'll, and we'll get back to you in just a second then. You are on your way home. You're kind of trailing a little bit behind when you a raven flies over you and a feather drops down on your shoulder and you see it light on um top of a light and just stare at you patiently it's just the feather yeah the feather lands on your shoulder and then the um to get your attention and then the bird lands on a light and just stares at you i'm just gonna hold back from jonathan all right um slow up James, would you notice or would you just be continuing on trying to catch up with Jonathan? I don't think I would notice. I think I'd be, I think James would be kind of nose to the ground contemplating what he's, uh, where he's failed. So they, yeah, they pass you by pretty quickly. And um, as soon as, as soon as they do, uh, Rose, the, the bird flies to the next light behind you and, and gives out a very patient, soft sound. I'll go to where... It is. 
All right, and it as you get close, it, it leaps to another light, and you realize that it is um, trying to get you to follow it. I'm going to look back over my shoulder and see how far away James is. And he's a pretty good distance now because he's just not paying attention. He is, head, he is nose to the ground moving forward. And how far away is Jonathan from him? Um, another probably 20, 30 feet ahead of him. He's stomped off. He is in a huff. I'm going to see if I can get James's attention. I'm just going to, James, James, not trying not to shout, right? but project. <laughs> All right. So when she calls to you, James, do you, do you stop and look at her or do you just continue on? I definitely look behind and see and, and look for the voice. All right. Ed, yeah, you see where I'm standing there. Back towards the raven. I kind of look back at Jonathan. Yeah, I look back at Jonathan, look at Rose, and just go straight for Rose to catch up. And the bird at this point is kind of shuffling a little nervously, like as you're not moving forward at the moment. I'll start moving forward again as soon as James starts moving towards me. I'm going to move towards the raven. And and as soon as you get close, it hops away again, um, very much leading you on. Keep following it. Yeah, follow it to wherever it leads. All right, so back to uh, Henry. Um, you get around and you've smelled the smell and you sent your raven off and you get around to the back and you see that the door of this of this bar has been splintered open. Um, there is no back door left to this uh, establishment and inside is very dark. Henry doesn't quite smile, but he's enjoying this more than he should. He's like, finally, I'm going to show him Henry's got it. And kind of sneaks inside. Okay. You step inside and that smell of blood hits you really, really hard. And it takes a minute for your eyes to uh, sort of adjust to the darkness. But you see that the entirety of this bar has been, like, all the furniture has been ripped to shreds. Everything is completely askew. And there is clearly something heaped up in the middle of the floor. I think I kind of take a piece of chair to, like prod at it without getting too close you step forward to prod at this thing and you're pretty close to it but as you step forward your foot hits something that squelches and when you step down on it this awful smell hits your nose how good do you think uh, how good do you think henry's stomach is (laughs) i was just thinking i think henry's throwing up. yeah yeah you you are you are currently uh throwing up do you think you might have anything to light the the room up or look for any sort of like light or do you even want to at this point? I think I don't, but I kind of trust the vision of the ravens to help me like get around. Like so I don't get details very right. well, but I'm also not like a blind man in this place. Right. Um one of the ravens flies over and like nudges or flies over to what looks like a banister, um like a bar section and there is indeed like a, a candle uh holder there um like a like one of the um hurricane lanterns and it, and it just kind of like looks from you looks to it and gives you a soft call um as you clean your face up i don't know if i want to see that you know what jenkins let's do this <laughs> and i and i try to figure out how to light it it doesn't i mean you it's it's 1900 you've probably definitely got matches on you for some reason or another you know you you light is necessary especially going out in the dark um so it doesn't take you very long to like light this this uh small lantern up as you turn back to the center of the room you can see three bodies piled up in the middle of the floor 
they've all been eviscerated. Awful is everywhere. The smell is absolutely horrendous. And for some reason, it's even worse now that you can see it. You recognize the man you know is Johnson, who was the man you were supposed to be coming to see. He is on top of the pile and he is clutching in his hand an envelope that is covered in blood. Next to him is a young woman, been here before, and you know that she is a, uh, she's a barmaid at this bar specifically. And then the other person is the owner of the establishment. All of them have been horrendously mutilated. I think Henry's, because the, the whole scene is pretty shaking, but it's very telling that even during that, he does have the sense first thing makes a sign to one of his birds and it grabs that envelope to bring back to um, him so he can hide that before anyone yeah, gets and here. And you get that envelope almost as soon as Rose and James are um, being led by your other raven into um, the room. Oh, I look suspicious as hell when you come in, too. Like, I'm <laughs> yeah. clearly hiding uh, it. So, yeah, Rose and James, you... You come into this bar, back door has been ripped to shreds. The furniture in the bar have been tossed around and there is a pile of bodies. You smell entrails and you smell throw up. Um, and it is just, it's not a pleasant scene. It is, it is really disturbing. What did you do? The birds led me here too. I, I don't know what this is. The bird looks innocent. I think I say, did you, wait, wait, you brought, you brought James? James, don't step on anything. <laughs> Poor James. I look down and I'm literally standing on something. Yeah, he you're, with you're, me and I kind of step, take a step back. <laughs> I was stuck with him tonight. What do you want me to do? Oh, I guess this is, I could use all the help I can get here. What could do this? Do we recognize what could do this? Something very large and terrifying, because it just took three people without any effort. Well, this is um, a bit more than I was expecting. Uh, do you want to go get closer and really look at the bodies? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, how close do you get? Um, I'm going to start from about two feet away and then i'm gonna start moving in cautiously okay so as you step as you step closer and get get to this big you see there is an older gentleman you you may or may not have seen him around town he looks like he looks like one of the people that is involved in a lot of the like um the the sort of like society clubs around new orleans he's wearing like the vest and the coat and clearly has some sort of like power in the city then you see there is also a barmaid you assume that she works there you've never really been here before and then there's another man who um, is dressed fairly similarly that you can probably guess was someone who also worked or stayed here uh, the three of them have been basically thrown into a pile on top of each other with the merchant on top there are big ragged cuts throughout their abdomens that have opened, you know, their insides. Um, they have large gashes, looks like defensive gashes on their arms. You're pretty sure that that blood loss was the, the way that they died. But as you, how close do you get? 
Oh, I'm going to get um, very, very close <laughs> to see if I can maybe tell how sharp a weapon was or um, whatever caused this damage. See maybe what caused the damage. You've seen a lot of knife wounds before and you've seen claw marks before. These would have to be huge, huge claws. Um, maybe like the size of a bear to do this kind of damage. And as you get closer, you look and you, you realize that the merchant has not only his abdomen has been kind of cleaned out, but there's a complete gap all the way up through into his chest cavity. Um, and you can kind of lean in through the light and look and you realize that his heart has also been completely removed. Neither one of the other two have had that treatment. They took this one's heart. Oh, man. Do you think just one? I don't know. If it was one, it was one big one. One big heart. Okay. <laughs> oh, we, no, one one big creature. A norm, just a normal-sized heart. Oh, okay. I mean, nothing looks eaten, so they weren't eating the heart. No. James, what are you doing while Rose is getting very close and personal with these corpses? <laughs> I'm trying not to step on stuff, um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm keeping my distance, but still being observant. And at, at some point in this uh, discussion between Rose and uh, Henry, I see the, the, the face of the barmaid. Is that Francesca? And I go running towards the heap and I heave the, the merchant off the top of the pile to get to this barmaid because I know the barmaid. Mm-hmm. James knows the barmaid has worked with her in the past as on some of the side jobs um, in town. And so he's very, very concerned and grabs her and, and is more worried about the barmaid than anything else right now. What, what do I see once I get? She has off? been absolutely ripped asunder. Um, her entire abdominal cavity has just been like, it looks like someone has literally just taken two sets of claws and just opened her up. The interesting thing about the barmaid, you notice, is that the other two men um, have these sort of defensive marks over their arms where they've tried to cover their face. She doesn't have those. It's almost like whatever did this caught her off guard. It just happened so quickly she didn't even have a chance to defend herself. James takes some sort of peace from that, knowing that it, in hopes that it was a, a fast uh, surprise death uh, and there was minimal to no suffering. Is she missing a heart as well, or, or is it just the... Just merchant? seems to be the merchant. And you recognize him too, because you've been around town before. You know this guy, Johnson. He is a he's a shipping merchant. And you you don't necessarily roll in the same circles with him, because your friends are, are a little lower down on the, um, the totem pole. But you know that this guy makes a lot of money shipping things in and out of uh, New Orleans. Um, all the time. Like he, him being dead is going to be um, a big talk. I look up at the family and say, why just Johnson? What would target him to remove the heart as opposed to these other other people, especially poor Francesca? Henry, what did you do with the uh, the note? Uh, it's on my sleeve. <laughs> all right. Um, so and I hope kind of covered with blood so it's like dripping out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so Henry is... Henry is looking very as as not guilty as he could possibly look, which uh, 
yeah. probably means he might be looking a little guilty. I don't know. What is Henry's poker face? There's a lot of um, looking for evidence in places that are nowhere near the body. Um, so, like, I'm, like, peeking around the bar and stuff like that, like, trying to find a spot that I could kind of wiggle this note out and see what it was, see what's in it. Um, so, as you're doing that sort of – as you're kind of looking through that sort of thing, you see <sighs> – there's a lot of mess on this floor. It looks like bodies have been dragged and things like that. There's no real way to tell like any specific in or outs of the of the building as far as like footprints or anything, except that in one area, just a perfect area, there is a bare human shaped as if someone barefoot had stepped in the blood and then managed to step in the one spot that no one else had drug anything through or walked across yet. And it guys, appears as guys. if it is going out of the of the out of the door. Like out the way we came in? Yes. Guys, tracks. Human tracks? There's no way. If one of you doesn't come look, I swear I'm going to scream. <laughs> James jumps up and 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 starts examining the the footprint, the direction he even he even takes a whiff like that does something to him. How strong is James? In a huff out the door, following the tracks. Very strong. Okay. But yeah, he's yeah. not phased by the blood and gore. Yeah. Um, yeah, you see uh, a singular footprint um, pointing towards like it's exiting the door. It's about five six feet away from the door, but the rest of the um, the rest of the place is just covered in so much that there's no way that you would be able to see, really get to see what's uh, anything else besides that one singular footprint. Uh, James is going to take a step outside and kind of uh, slowly kind of scan the area and slowly kind of take a visual perimeter and, and work his way out to try to find any other sign of footprints, blood, um, to give me a general direction if possible. Uh, give me a guile roll. And we'll say the reward for this is that you find uh, what you are looking for. We'll say a risk for this, though, is that you're going to attract attention. Okay. I have one in Guile, uh, obviously. But I'm going to use, uh, I'm going to add another one in Weird. Not for the weird we're thinking, but just the fact that he's weird. <laughs> um, all right. I got a four and a three. All right. So a four is good enough. Um, so you do, you do find what you're looking for. However, um, so you, you turn and you look and there is on the wall of the building next to, uh, this establishment, you see, uh, what looks like a, uh, sort of like trail of blood that kind of, as if something has pulled itself up onto the roof of the building next door. But while you're out there, you hear the sound of someone coming down the alleyway towards you. You kind of get the glimpse to realize that it's probably one of the local um, constabulary making their rounds. How far am I away from the actual door back into this tavern? Nah, just a foot. I'm stepping back in because I'm the wrong person to try to talk my way out of stuff. I'm going to step back in. Uh, guys, we've got company, and I see a blood trail that went up uh, towards the next door uh, building up on the roof. Uh, on, Henry, if, if if you could send your bird uh, to check that out. And somebody's got to talk to whoever's coming up here because I'm not the guy. 
All right, so you guys have just a couple seconds. What are you, um, what are you going to do when this guy They're comes? In the I know the constabulary is coming in the, the back door. I'm slipping out the front. They're coming up to the back door. And I'm going to let you guys yes, figure I'm that sorry. out for a second. We're going to hop back over to our friend um, Eustace. So Eustace, you... You are in your office and you hear you hear someone come in the back the the downstairs door and slam it pretty hard, followed by another door opening, uh, the the same door opening, um, and being shut a lot more gently. You hear an old voice call up the stairs. Hey, if uh if there be anybody around here, I'd I'd be needing to uh, to speak with you a little bit. And you recognize it as Gerard. He is the caretaker of the vineyards outside. Gerard, just a moment. I'll be right down. I put what I'm working this on aside and dab off my forehead, then head on down the stairs. Gerard, as you come down the stairs, you see Gerard is um, is down there. He has been in your family for as long as anybody can remember. As far as you know, um, he was there when your father and Petunia and Jonathan were kids. Um, he's been there. He's a, he's an older Cajun man, complete, just made of wiry muscle. He's always wearing coveralls. He's always like never like filthy but always just kind of like grubby looking like at all times like he's always working and he does live on the grounds but he has his own little house that that is uh away from the manor house himself and he says oh uh there you are there you are mr eustace uh i got something i need to show you real quick i found something was real real strange oh please lead the way he takes you to out to the cemetery he points to one of the mausoleum crypts you see that it looks like the door has been like broken open he kind of grimaces and he says you know i think that them kids and teenagers be down here playing in the in a cemetery it's not good to be down here in that cemetery there's all kinds of i mean they could get into water or they could fall and hurt themselves like this we we need to we need to make yes. sure the gates is closed yes why don't you go do that, Gerard? I'm going to make sure that nothing happened in here. Okay. And as he's kind of wandering away, he said, them, them kids, they just, oh, they can be such couillons. He said, there was a, I saw their footprints out in the vines too. They can't be tripping around in the vines. And he's saying this as he's walking away, grumbling. So now once he gets far enough away where I am not worried about his immediate safety. I'm going to cautiously approach the door and listen to see if I can hear anything inside. Okay. It is very, very dark. It's not a big crypt. It's probably only like 10 feet by 10 feet. Like it's not very big at all. And the light shining in, you can see like probably about halfway in and it doesn't seem to be anyone in there like there's nothing moving in it does this have a name assist do i know whose tomb or mausoleum this is uh, how familiar do you think eustace would be with the specific mausoleums here or do you think that he like do you think he would just know it by by where it is or do you think that he would have to go back out and look at the front of it to figure uh, it out? I think he'd have to go out and look at the front. He probably walks through, but is often in his own head rather than looking at the names. 
Right. Walk back out and look, and the the name on it says um, Winston Rookwood from 1828 to 1853, and it just says it just says succumbed. That's the only word written underneath it. I have to make a mental note to check my what little I can find in the family histories about Winston. But at this point, I think I need to do a general like look around, see if I can. I didn't bring a flashlight or any source of light, so... No, all you have is the moonlight. That's fine. I am going to think smarter about this and head back to the house to get a source of light. So just go back. uh, I presume we would have a lamp or lantern or Mm -hmm. some such. Grab that. Head on back down. And if I pass by Aunt Petunia... I'll just let her know that she may want to make sure the doors are... And she'll say, I think um, I think your cousins are still out there, but I'll just keep an eye out for them. They should be back. They, Jonathan kind of came in in a, in, a, in a tizzy, so you know how he could be. Uh, you might want to have him meet me at the graveyard, if you, if you don't mind. Okay, yeah, no problem, sugar. And she wanders out to find uh, her brother. And I'll return, and I would like to look around Do I see, to see if I can find any footprints, any evidence of what did this. Because I'm not convinced children, even young, foolish children, did this. I'm sure they that people have defaced our property before, but breaking into a mausoleum seems something a little more like a problem. Well, and you know that the uh, the reputation of the Rookwood Manor is something of a, of a haunted place, as as many places are in New Orleans. And you know that the local kids like to uh, consider this place something of a dare. They try to get as close to it as they possibly can before they get scared off. But you don't know that anyone has ever been in the cemetery before. No one's ever made it that far. They usually, for whatever reason, don't get any further than the main gates before common sense realize, makes them realize they're trespassing and they run away. I'll be looking around for that until Jonathan joins us. Yeah. As you're looking around, you see that there is a crowbar on the ground near the um, mausoleum, and it does look as if the door has been crowbarred open, has been wrenched open with the crowbar. The ground is squishy, but there's still just enough grass that you don't really see any, like, footprints. And as you're looking around, Jonathan comes out, kind of eyeballs you a little bit, and he says, uh, What's going on? Uncle, Gerard alerted me that someone, gesturing to the mausoleum, has caused some damage. We have a crowbar, but nothing else I can find. But I don't know if, about you, but even in my youth, I wasn't doing this to doors. I think this might be something more your speed. <sighs> yeah, yeah, you're right. He kind of, he looks up and he looks as it is and he says, That's interesting. Hand, hand me that light. And, and he takes the light and he shines it into the mausoleum and he looks around and he just kind of like, See? Look. And he points, and on top of the uh, crypt of the mausoleum, you see where the dust has sort of settled in. And there is clearly the shape of something long and slender that was in the mausoleum and is now not. And he, he sighs, hands you back the light, and he says, Someone has taken our great-great-uncle Winston's sword. 
the one he had in the military. It was buried out here with him, and it's been here the whole time. Well, that's not good. He kind of looks at you, raises an eyebrow, and he says, Now the only one who would have any clue about anything out here would be one of us. No one in that town knows anything about a man who passed some 50 years ago. Well, we'll have to look into that, but I can tell you that we have one more thing to investigate if you have the time. Gives kind of a weary sigh, and he goes, All right, go ahead. Gerard mentioned footprints in the vines, or near the vines. I'm going to head that way now, but you have done this longer than I have, and I could use your help. He nods, and he says, You know, I could use your help, too. I know you like it in here, but damn it, kid, James isn't gonna make it. And Rose is a sharp girl, but sometimes she just fades out. We could use you out here. I could use you out here. With Elijah gone, I'm just exhausted. I know, Uncle. I know. Let's talk about this after we've checked the vines. Alright. Alright. You go ahead. I'll follow you. Uh, so Eustace will go towards the vines, which I... The way Gerard had mentioned it seemed to me something that we would be understanding what he meant by that. From the gates all the way to the manor house are rows and rows of vineyards, and, and that is the vines that he, or you know, that he he collected. Those are his babies. That is what uh, Gerard does here. Um, the rest of the Rookwoods have long ago stopped working on the grapevines themselves, and Gerard and his family are the ones who who work the grapevines, paid handsomely, of course, because the Rookwoods make their money off of the vineyards. As you come to the edge of these rows of vines, you can see these um, these very thick wooden posts, and these vines are just crisscrossing um, through them. As you start to step into the vineyards, you you have this moment where it almost always, every time you every time you move past them, you feel like these vines are just moving slightly, just ever so slightly, just enough to make you feel uncomfortable, but never enough to make you like actually see. Like you get the sensation of movement without the actual visual, visual like stimulus of movement, as if these vines are just waiting on something. And you get that same feeling as you step into them this time. They're patient, but they're waiting. Let's see if we can find these footprints. Um, yeah, so you, you wander through for a little bit, and you're probably about 15, 20 feet in when uh, suddenly your light illuminates the, uh, the the wrinkled old face of Gerard, who says, they're right here. Yeah. <laughs> goodness, boy, goodness. Look, I, I show you right here. And he points, and there are indeed footprints. Probably... Average size footprints look like somebody in boots moving through uh, the mud. And it definitely looks like they're going back towards the gates as if they're getting out. Okay. I would like to uh, put the, I'll put the light down and I'm going to pull out my notepad and try and write down, like eyeball the size of the boot, see if it has any, you know, distinguishing marks in the tread like some boots you would have like the manufacturer in there you know just see put as much detail as i can into it so that before it gets washed away in, in the while you're doing that gerard is, is sort of harassing jonathan and he's saying you you catch him saying and if i catch them little coolions in my my vines whoo 
I'm going to tend to hide's bear. And Jonathan's like, yes, Gerard, we'll take care of this. And uh, the old man just finally turns away, grumbling, and, and I, it says he's going back to his house. All right, so you take note of the shoes, and let's jump back to the crew that are in the bar. What have you guys decided to do? This policeman is walking in. This is not going to be a very nice scene if you're caught here. It's um, just one of them? It is just one policeman. And he's walking in the back door. There's no he has, chance he is not. Past. He might walk past it, but remember the back door is blown oh, off yeah. its hinges. <laughs> he would yeah. definitely notice something is, is weird, and there is a light coming from, currently a light flickering in the room from the lantern. that slip out the front door and just kind of step to the side of it and press myself against the wall and just kind of attempt to blend in. Okay. What is everybody else doing? I think similar... Henry Schiller, this is the kind of thing that he's gotten into. Like, maybe not with the bodies, but hiding from police after some shenanigans is fairly normal for him. So I think going out that door and, like, sending a bird to try to convince James to come along is pretty standard. Okay. James, are you following them out the front door then? <laughs> yeah. I, I. Although I'm the last in line, I was probably – I had the idea the first. Oh, okay. So I'm just I'm just the last person to get to the door. That is definitely fair. Do me a favor, James. Just as a random, let's see if it happens. Roll me a d6. It doesn't matter what kind of d6 it is. And tell me your results to see if you manage to make it out the door before the police officer finds the back door broken. All right. Lord, bear me strength. Number four. All right. So yeah, you sneak out and even the door closes. The door closes as you hear the sound of the policeman's whistle cut from behind the ha- uh, the, the bar, which you know means that there's going to be more people alerted very quickly now that you guys are out at the front in the main street. What is your what is your plan now? Are there other people out on the main street? Not currently. Guys, we got to get up on that roof. I guess we'll see what happens next. Plus, the co- the constables won't see us up there. I, I uh, James clenches his hands together, waiting for someone to step on his hands so he can lift him up. Because James doesn't get lifted to us to a uh, second floor. He lifts <laughs> other people to the second floor, <laughs> so he's ready to help assist people to get up there. And just kind of looks at everybody kind of weirdly. I think Henry goes, "Ladies first and like looks embarrassed. I'll go attempt to climb up on the roof. You can either use brawn or guile for this. I'll use guile. And we're since he is helping you up, I'm going to allow you to re-roll one of your dice. Excellent. I like that. Okay. Oh, good. <laughs> really good. <laughs> I got a six and a one. Yeah, so that's a double. Uh, that's a double success. You're able to pull yourself up, and you do so quietly. So we didn't do the risk and reward on this one. So I guess I should say that the the reward is that you do it. The risk is that you catch it. You cause attention to yourself. I don't want that. All right. So who's going up next? I think I I try to get the boost and go right. up next. Um, you you up can use well. brawn or guile to get up. This is gonna be brawn. Right, are you using one or two dice? Two okay. dice. Henry doesn't really do things halfway. <laughs> I won't pull you up if you need it. That's a six and a three. Okay, so there you go. You uh, is a six on your brawn. Okay. Yeah. So well, they're both they were okay, both yeah. brawn die. So I, yeah, you pull your you pull yourself up, no problem. Now it's uh, James. 
I think we're both hanging over yeah, with our arms. Yeah, we're both going to hang over and help pull James up. All right, James. Well, here, here's the deal. James is going to look up and look around, and he's just going to take off. He's not going to even try to get up on this roof. He's running away. Okay. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> All right, so James is booking it down the street. I'm going to give a big sigh. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> um, so now that you are on the roof, what do you... Um... What do the two of you do? I'm looking for those blood marks that James said went up. So you see, you see a smear of blood coming up onto the um, roof of the house or of the building. It's not really a house as much as it's just a building. Um, but you don't really see a whole lot else as you're looking, as you're like panning the the sort of horizon, and you can hear people starting to. Um, hurry over to to this business one of your the magpie who bothered you earlier lights down on the roof of the building looks at you shouts red eyes red eyes and behind it you see the shape of something very large silhouetted in the moonlight many streets over dip down into the darkness between two buildings and disappear Shit. Of course, Rose, all you hear is this magpie screaming, um, which is probably not great for you guys hiding. But <laughs> Is that what you guys were hunting? It's huge. No, that's not what we were hunting. We can't oh. handle this. We need to get to Jonathan. Well, presumably James is going to get him. So what, <laughs> okay. we just hang out here while there's dead bodies underneath us and police outside? My birds will tell, tell me if they're coming our way. They're coming our way. Okay, let's let's get out of here then. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys try to make your way across a couple of rooftops before you slip yes. down. And, okay. Yeah. And the birds can kind of like check the road yeah. before we climb yeah. down there. So All can... right. So let's um let's convene the scene with James. You get back just as just as Jonathan and Eustace are settling back in from the house from checking out the uh the the vines and you um i'm assuming just come barreling down in the door yeah (laughs) yeah there's no gracious way that james would do it right right and of course the minute you step in the door jonathan is glaring at you (laughs) eustace what's your reaction as james like lumbers in cousin so good to see you please remember to take your shoes off when you come in we do not want to track dirt through the house, do we? <laughs> Notably, Eustace still has his shoes on, and presumably so does Jonathan. Yes. <laughs> I just picture James being completely out of breath with his hand up against like a wall leaning, trying to get his shoes off. <laughs> just. <sighs> <sighs> yeah, and Jonathan is going to look from James over to... Um, to Eustace, and he's just going to shake his head, and he's going to say, you know, you know what? I'm done for tonight. Whatever this is can wait until morning. And heads up to his room. You are covered in blood, right, James? Yeah, he picked up a corpse and kind of like, I don't know what he was doing uh, with it. So, <laughs> taking a second glance, Eustace is then going to go, James, are you okay? Have you been hurt? Oh, yeah. It's not my blood. Don't worry. <sighs> I. That is harder to do than you say. Where's Rose? Uh, uh, 
they, we were at a tavern. There was a a, a pile of bodies, and uh, a police off, a policeman came by, and, and we hid, and I ran. <sighs> Jonathan! Jonathan! He will step back down from the stairs, and he'll say, Whatever mess you've gotten yourself into, it can wait until morning when I have had breakfast. But Jonathan, Rose and uh, uh, Henry, they're, 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 I believe they're stuck on top of a roof. They're, we, we found a, a pile of bodies and there was a missing heart and blood and gore and uh, our bartender's dead. Um, I helped him up on the roof and I ran to come get you for help. Jonathan will look over at Eustace. Eustace, does any of this make sense to you? A degree. Uncle, I will take care of it. Alright, whatever they have gotten themselves into, they are going to have to learn to get through without me. James, he heads back up to his room. James, I do apologize, but I'm going to ask you to put your shoes back on and take me <laughs> to Rose and Henry. <laughs> He gives you this look like you told him to put his dog down. Um, <laughs> he is devastated at the shoes, not the blood. But he obliges. Slips on his... I mean, they're, they're Velcro or mm-hmm. Velcro adjacent for the time period. Um, slips him back on and follow me. Follow me. And so we start heading outside. All right. I will have my light with me. Um, and off we go. I would imagine that you probably meet them on the way back to the house as they're coming back. You guys probably meet. Um, you do notice immediately um, leaving the house that there are a lot of people active for this time of night. But yeah, Rose and uh, Henry, you see uh, Eustace and uh, James kind of coming out to find you. Of course, James is still covered using in blood. My, I'm going to be using my handkerchief to wipe the blood off of my hands from where I was all over dead bodies. Mm-hmm. All dainty um, like. Henry, have you, did you take a chance to look at the envelope yet? I don't think I've been able to. I've okay. been too close to Rose to, um, to try. I think I did manage to like swift move it to a more like a pocket, a pocket rather yeah. than a sleeve. But um, okay, so you guys basically just kind of run into each other, not too far from the house. By the time, by the time you guys, man, you are moving, you know, a lot faster and more swiftly than James does. So you're you're pretty close to the house, but you can definitely tell there's a lot of activity on the streets right now. Wait, 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 wait! We sent you for Jonathan, and you brought Moistus. <laughs> no, really, where's Uncle Jonathan? Uncle Jonathan is indisposed for the evening. Indisposed? We have kind of a big deal on our hands. He made it very clear that he will deal with it in the morning. Now, speaking of in the morning, let's get everyone back to the house so that I can tell you about some things that have gone on at the house. And young Henry here and I'll place my hand on Henry's shoulder and you can feel some of the clamminess through your shirt can explain just what he's doing running about the town at this hour of night. Hey, hey, hey watch the, watch the suede. You know what you do to suede. 
Forget what he's doing out. There is a rampaging, murderous monster in town. What's we know he doing out? Eustace is just going to take a breath. He is going to deal with it tomorrow. Look, guys, I know how I handled this. Eustace, there's an accounting ledger slightly out of out of um, equality or whatever you call balance. it down this way. We have to go over there. Yes, balance. Henry, that's adults it. are talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, as it may be, James, you said that there were a pile of bodies. Yeah, but don't skip over the fact that our favorite barkeep was dead. Yes, and your favorite barkeep is dead Listen her name's francesca reason. james has a crush how Listen about the merchant guy was missing his heart how about all of you pause for a second and and he takes a moment wipes the sweat off his head i know that it is a difficult job to hunt to do what we do you mean to right do now, what we do <laughs> but right now our strongest asset is not going out to fight anymore tonight and frankly I think that you all would be taking yourselves to your doom if you chase this thing we need to take time to plan and have an idea of what we're dealing with because there are things that you don't know about yet that may impact what is happening. So let's go back to the house. Let's recoup and figure out what's going on. Okay? Okay. This way. And then he turns and starts leading towards the house. I'm going to elbow James and I'm going to go he would know all about assets, wouldn't he? James not trying to be quiet at all, not realizing he probably should. He just kind of belts out a, <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I think that is actually where we are going to end the session tonight. As night settles in, Rookwoods feel a sense of unease about the house. There is danger lurking in the very air, watching and waiting in the trees around the manor more and more magpies have arrived they rustle their feathers and huddle together with soft calls the spring peepers and crickets sing out from the deep woods of the bayou from deeper in an anguish howl echoes across the water in the cypress the frogs and insects go quiet the awful noise is heard across the city those who are awake cross themselves in a ward against evil those who are asleep pull their blankets tighter and shiver in the trees the magpies cry out softly so that only henry can hear it red eyes red eyes <laughs> Thank you.